Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I am Tim, and as always, I am joined by the dulcet tones of both Lavelle and Carlo. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Hey, good morning. It is 8.45 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is early. We've had a little bit of coffee. We have had a busy week, I know, between the three of us. There's been so much happening. Between the the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday falling so late in the month of November, I feel like December hasn't really existed, yet so much has happened between Thanksgiving and now, my head is spinning a little bit. The year-end for me working in media production is always super busy because people are trying to spend their budgets, which is great, but it floods... I have a lot of psychic activity right now. So my hobby progress section, which is going to come up, is really short. But I know we've all been really busy. A lot of energy going into other parts of our lives, especially around the holiday times, I feel. Um, So let's fire it up. This will be section one, hobby progress. I'm going to go last because mine's the shortest. Carlo, why don't you kick us off with hobby hobby progress? Um, So this week, uh, or I guess this month, how long has it been? A month? Two months? Month month okay this month uh i've been changing my 40k list around because of the points drops from chapter approved so i have a razor shark on the way for my tau i'm gonna try try one of those flyers they went down uh, i think 60 or 70 points per model before weapons so um that's on the way in the meantime while that's been shipped i've been building some star wars legion stuff what uh yeah <laughs> what? i picked up the starter for that yeah not 40k but uh our listeners are used to it by now so i have a starter of that i brought some wookies i bought sabine and boba fett so i built all those the other day um <laughs> great and i've been getting some games with that <laughs> already that's great good for you yep it's actually a really fun game. I'm having a good time with it. So it's a nice little break. 40k can be, especially since we've been doing the competitive stuff lately. It's been enjoyable, but a little um, kind of intense. Sure. So to have another game to play that you really don't know the rules of that well is is interesting. Um, I also picked up from PAX, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, some more Ethereum stuff. So nice. I've been building that too. And not much painting lately. I'd like to get back into painting more. Uh, after I painted my Tau, I kind of needed to take a break from it. So I've really just been like trimming, uh, clipping models and building them lately. So um, other than that, um, I don't think I have anything else hobby related. I've been, I did go see a, a Gundam movie in the theater from Char's counterattack from like 1988. Wow. How was that? that? Yeah, that's awesome. It, it was interesting. Yeah, um, they put so they they took that old movie and they put it in the theaters for one night. They've been doing that a lot lately. Actually, I think they've been doing it with uh, Studio Ghibli movies too. With you know, uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, I think they had a few of them. There's been like one every month, but those old animes. Um, so it was it was okay. I I didn't really care for that movie that much in terms of the plot line. Um, but it, it was great to see something like that in the theater and on a big screen. Cause you don't really get the, the, uh, 
chance to do that very often. So was it like a completely remastered edition of the film? Uh, or did it still I did it still have that? So. Did it still have the look? Of, did it still have the original look to it, or did it look a little bit extra sharp? Uh, I, I could say it looked a little extra sharp. The vault, the sound, more so sounded like somebody maxed a volume out on a television, kind of a thing. Like it was just coming from one direction. You know, it wasn't really like full. Yeah, it wasn't that full surround sound effect that you get in the movie theater uh, usually. But it was great. It was great. Uh, what about you guys? I got a little bit, yeah. You ready for me? First of all, we're going to talk a little bit about chapter approved, but I, um, I've been reconnecting with some of the old time players that I've been playing with. We played a really big double game in early uh, November. It was me, Mike, Tom, and Steve. All, all of those guys are have hobby skills that dwarf mine. They had great armies. We played a, a large. 2,500 point per person, 5,000 point per side game. It was pretty good. Had a lot of fun. And I'm prepping for a game tomorrow, um, tomorrow evening. Yeah, Thursday evening. And it's a 3,000 point game with my custodies. Now, here's the point I want to make. I built this 3,000 point list, and it was 3,011 points because, you know, I like to cheat just a little bit. And then Chapter Approved came out. And that exact same list, it's a custodies list. It's 2840. That, that is really, really big. I could drop in another Vexilla for that. I was just incredibly, incredibly impressed. I'm really excited about what that's going to do for my, uh, my, uh, my whole custodies list. I've been playing that and getting a little bit of Necron play in as well. I've been fleshing that out. Now, I want to put you on to something. There is a new game out. It's kind of a miniature game, more like a board game called Core Space. I haven't even played the game. It might be good. I don't know. But the terrain in this game is awesome. It's all like punch and put together. Uh, just YouTube, just search for Core Space Terrain. I think it's called Battlescape. That's the system because you can buy the terrain separately. It works. It will work incredibly well for both Infinity and kill team it's i just check out that terrain i've been looking at that terrain and i've been studying it a little bit more before i begin my construction of it because i want to play more kill team the other thing that i've been doing is um you (laughs) carlo you mentioned uh star wars i have built a complete imperial star wars army i played one sample game a couple of months ago it went on sale at gamers heaven i swapped scooped up all of the star wars piece i have a complete star wars imperial army it's fantastic (laughs) i love the game there's nothing as satisfying as having darth vader throw his lightsaber (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty nasty too it's like what six red or something right six red It's 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 a great fun little game it's it's not as mentally i use this term loosely mentally involved as 40k but it's a great game i've been playing that i'm preparing for my uh song of ice and fire or fire and ice whatever the game of thrones game and i've been putting together my lannister forces my lannister army i'm getting ready to start building and getting that painted that'll be good i'm really excited about that and i'm also really excited about um this new game that tim put me on to conquest Uh, The Last Argument of Kings. And so I've been working on those things. I got a couple of miniature things all in play. Most of my 40K time has been spent on playing. 
I've been really, really getting down to getting more games in, more types of games, and it's been really, really good. Not to, to chapter approved, but I think chapter approved does a lot of great things. But one of the great things that it does, that open war deck, it expands upon that type of play greatly. It's really, really good. That's it for me. Oh, wait. Is that one more thing? And again, you guys are my friends, but I just want you to know, I purchased two box sets of the sisters, the battle sisters. I'm just waiting for two repressors and and, uh, four vehicles and my army will be ready for construction and painting. Nice. I've seen a lot of it. I've I've seen, I had seen the play before and it is... um, it is really, really different. That's really excited me. The way they use faith dice, everything about it, that, that really, really pumped me up. And I said, I really have to try this. I pre-ordered a box set, and they, they flew out all over the place. And I went into a store to pick something up, and they had one. I said, hey, you, you got one left? And I just had to pick it up. And at first, I was going to see if anybody wanted to buy it. But then uh, I got it home, and it was calling me. And I, I said, to you. <laughs> don't, don't sell me, Lavelle. We can be friends. See how many points two boxes are. <laughs> and that's where I am with that. Are there any, like, there's not, like, name characters in those boxes, so you can use every single model twice, at least, right? That is correct. The only difference is there is the Repentia squad. There is a, an elite character that gives you a little bit more control of the Repentia, and you double up on that, and I don't know if you would need to double up on that particular miniature. But other than that, it you know, when I buy, um, I need to buy four vehicles and add Celestine, who I already had to the mix, I'm ready for action. And they don't, they don't have I might, new... I, I might need to buy one more Sister yet. Squad. I do don't they? have... Would you say? They don't have new vehicles yet, do they? They're still Not only working don't on they, they don't have new vehicles. They took the old vehicles off the website, even the Forge World site. Oh, uh, that's probably a good sign then. They're either making new vehicles or possibly reboxing them at the very least. But I, I had seen some things in Warhammer community. I think they're making new vehicles. Sick. So that's what I've been doing. One, one last thing. I, I'm sorry, I keep saying one last thing. You are In January, the first week or so in January, there's always a huge page Philadelphia APOC game. Have you guys heard anything about that? Yeah. Okay, so I'm glad you brought it up because we do need to advertise for it. So, um, uh, Anyone who is interested in it can come. Colin is organizing it. Again, it'll be on the 11th of January at Red Caps, and we will have a 20-person limit. Um, we're working on getting that up. I was talking to him last night about it. Uh, we need to create the event on Facebook, and uh, we're considering making a Red Cap sign up for it, but it is a 20-person limit. So look look for the event uh, in the next couple of weeks and make sure you get signed up for it and if you do plan on coming. Um, and we're going to have... Uh, right now, we're just trying to work out the details if we want to. I think we're going to order pizza for everyone, so we're going to build that into the cost of the ticket. So it'll be, but it's still going to be cheap. It's going to be like fifteen bucks a person, or like ten bucks a person, or something like that. And you said so, there are nineteen spaces available. 
Uh, yeah. Third. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Because I got my space. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. I guess. I guess there's like seventeen, the right? Because it's okay, like me, you Colin, you, yep. right? So. Yep. yep. Sixteen. It's going fast. Sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> Down to sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> Any idea what the points per player will be? Um. So we've been talking about that. We are cons- We're going to do. I think it's normally three thousand a person, but then we were going to give. Anyone with who wants to bring Titans, uh, assuming we can balance the field out relatively well, we'll get an, a, an extra 2,000 points for to tit- bring for, for Titans and stuff like that. So uh, let me let me confirm that with him before we get ahead. And uh, he's <laughs> messaging me right now. Actually, he's got strateg- <laughs> special stratagems this year. Nice. And uh, some other interesting... Uh, rules with reserve units, maybe some army construction kind of stuff. So we'll we'll let everybody know what the deal yeah. is with that. And are you planning on set. using the new APOC stuff, or will this be traditional APOC? No, we're going to do 40k mega battle. So it's just, yeah. Uh, I, none of us have really gotten the new APOC stuff, and we don't want to pressure people into buying rules for an event that happens one day a year. So uh, we eventually might move to that. I got to talk to him about that, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. So, yep. So, so there would definitely be 3,000 points of custodies there. I will have to drum up uh, 3,000 points of Grey Knights so I can once again wipe Lavelle's custodies off the table. Wow. <laughs> I think wow. you guys are going to be on the same side, unfortunately. <laughs> <All right. but laughs> wow. You know what's going to be cool? I never thought about this, but Grey Knights would actually be really good in uh, APOC because you could do Gate of Infinity. Yes. Right? Super so mobile. <laughs> it might super be. Mobile. It might be their time to shine. I can get across the room pretty quickly. <laughs> so hobby progress right. for me, um, I am. I'm, I have finally agreed to myself and to my to-do list on my wall to um, transition all my iron hands to Primaris Marines. So I'm slowly Ooh. transitioning to that, which is fun. Um, I have my eye on some of the... What? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just got to happen. Um, Love, uh, Tim, you were more against... Primaris yeah. Marines, and you were against Star Wars. Yep, it's true. What's going on here? <laughs> it's true. It's true. I, ha- I just have to get on board. I just have to get on board. So I have my eye on uh, two of the uh, the big tanks, two of the little tanks, and uh, I think I have all of the uh, Primaris Marines that I need to equal my uh, original Iron Hands lists, which is cool, I guess. So did, did you get the Impulsor yeah, the transport? In, the, yeah, the Impulsor and uh, the big the Executioner one, um, the Repulsor uh executioner and they're cool i mean i have yet to build them but i they're looking good on the shelf right now um also recently it's no surprise it's no it's not news to anybody but i've been stoked about age of sigmar so i did accidentally buy a stormcast eternals army and i've been scrubbing that clean because it was (laughs) previously painted (laughs) it was previously i I say i say accidentally i might have told the story in the last episode forgive me i say accidentally because it was a bit buy it now or best offer and i made a best offer that i thought was you know, definitely in my favor, and the seller took it. I guess they were stoked to sell it. So I got this, like, 45, 4,300-point army for next to nothing, which was awesome. Set, set it in a in a, a big bucket of green stuff for green. Yeah, but that's, like, one of those things where they have in the movie where they've got this thing that they're selling, and they can't wait to get rid of it, and I wonder why, because it's cursed. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'll probably never win a game <laughs> with that army. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I think one of the reasons they were selling it was that I think some of it was primed with like automotive primer or like rust oleum um, spray cans, uh. you know, because it was really hard to get cleaned up. But that's uh, uh, yeah. that's primed and ready to be painted, which is cool. Um, I did not make it to PAX Unplugged, which I was bummed about. Um, in purchases, I did buy Battle Foam for my Titanicus stuff, which I'm excited about finishing painting. I did start to paint that stuff, and I just kind of want to have a box of Titanicus stuff ready to walk out the door at any moment. Um, I'm, I'm interested in Titanicus terrain. I'm going to start doing some... I want to build like a proper 4x4 Titanicus terrain board, I think. I might scratch build all that in the spring. It's like a big a big project for my, my tables and my, my painting space, but... Uh, I think I'm going to dive into that. So I'm going to start looking on eBay for, uh, you know, like single sprues uh, of uh, the Titanicus terrain that came with the Grandmaster Edition or in you know, all those various little terrain kits. Have you actually played Titanicus? Not since you and I have played at Red Caps. Okay. Yep. So I find I, I like the game. I don't know if that's the best terrain. Um, the one that they actually give you with the set. Mm. I feel that the terrain should be a little bit larger. Um, yeah, I just, I just feel that I'm, I'm not, I like, I like the game a lot. I'm not 100% happy with the amount or the scale of the terrain. Interesting. Yeah. So I think it, it, it's worth, um, taking a look at other options. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, also as Lavelle had mentioned, um, and I, I had mentioned it uh, two episodes ago, the game Conquest, the last argument of Kings. I'm still reading on the lore, the, all the lore is on their website. So I've been enjoying reading that. And I started to build, um, the Spire, which is the faction that I'm going to play, which is this alien race that kind of genetically engineers clones that kind of look like humans. They're really weird and bony looking. They kind of look like the new Ossiarch Bone Reapers that were released with Age of Sigmar, which are beautiful models, by the way. But they have, kind of have these weird scaly bone things protruding from them. And it was the art style that dragged me into that game in the first place, so they... The, I think the Spire really do show off the art style of that game really well. Let's circle back to PAX Unplugged, Philadelphia's own PAX tabletop convention. I did not make it last weekend. What were your experiences like, gents? Let me go first. I only went one day. I went Friday. I was only there briefly. I ran the gamut of the market looking for some specific things, and then I, I didn't stay beyond that. I was there for no more than an hour and a half. Did you find what you were looking for, and what was it? Almost. Mm. The main thing I was looking for was uh, were uh, expansions to um, Ethereum, mm. um, because that you know I, that's really only the only place to get it. I was hoping Privateer Press was there, and they were not. Mm. And really? Yeah, they were mm. not there. I saw um, Cool Mini or Not was there. Which is... Cool Mini or Not was there. Um, they didn't have any games that I want. But the other thing that I got was because I, I play a game called Star Trek Ascendancy, which I like a lot. It's a board game. And they had expansions, new expansions that I that come out. And it can be hard to get those expansions anyplace else other than mail order. And I just ran through there and I got the Andorian and the Vulcan High Command. Um, but that was it. And a kill. We, we also wanted to talk to the, the table people. I got a table went through a, a auction at Red Caps, and there were some problems with the table, but they helped us understand how the table was designed to work, oh. and um, that was it. Cool. And Carl, oh, wait, what did you, you? Hold on a sec. Sorry, did yeah. you buy one of those 
crazy tables from like Wormwood? No, not one of those tables. This was um, uh, BoardGameTables.com. Uh, Adam and, and Ben did an auction for some material they got, and one of the things there was a table. It was actually uh... it, it was it was all boxed up, and I guess nobody really noticed it. And I was like, "Yes, I will. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I will bid on this," and I did. <laughs> Their stuff That's is awesome. nice. They have like toppers to make it a regular table, then you can take the top off to make it a right. table. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, and, and they have those bags that. That's what that is. Up. Yes. Uh, where you, you could squeeze all your board games into it. I thought people were carrying armies in those bags, and I was like, oh, it looks kind of loose in there. Like, mm. like you know, when you, you expect like an army case to be like a very tight foam thing, so there's not a lot of movement. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I like. You know, this thing looks loose. I don't know if I carry my army over there, but now I'm looking at it on the website, and they have like you're fitting like these kind of heavy board game sets in there and stacking them all up on top of each other. And I could see why it was that shape. Yes, and, yeah. yeah, that's that, pretty cool. Yeah, Lavelle yeah. passed on one of those bags to me, and I actually really like it. I've used it uh, twice already. Yeah, yeah, it's really really good for moving your games around. I've got three of them, and depending on the type of board game I want to do, I grab one. Totally. Uh, Carlo, your packs unplugged situation uh similar to lavelle's i only went for friday um so every year i my uh fiance my sister and her friend we all go and then this year um our friends jeff and grant came with us and uh we had a great time uh we were there for most of the day up until probably around four o'clock and then we went to get some ramen across the street at uh yumitsuki but uh until then I think in the morning we got there, we went a little late this year. Last year we wait, waited in line before they opened. But this year we, we showed up, they opened the con at 10 o'clock and we showed up at like 1030. And there was still a line wrapping out of the convention center, down the street, like where the entrance is on Broad Street. It wrapped right a block and then went back two blocks, wrapped down the street, around the block again. But yeah, it was a really long line, but they moved through very quickly. Like I can't say that we were in line for more than twenty minutes. You know, it was just so so fast how they got people in that convention center. I don't know how it was when it first opened at ten, but at ten thirty it was moving quick. So um, they got everybody through the through the bag search and metal detectors really quick. Uh, then you get right into the you know you go pick up your badge from the will call line, which is another like maybe five to ten minutes um if you didn't get like they will ship badges out to you ahead of time if you order them in, in advance but i always uh, procrastinate so i ordered mine like three days before packs so i had to go sit in another line pick them up there which is quick and then we went up to the convention hall and it was uh, laid out a little bit differently this year i felt like lavelle do you remember the hall being smaller last year like they had one of those partitions set up i, I do I, I I felt like they spread it. They spread it. They spread the whole convention out over more area. Yeah, and then I don't know if that was bad because before it was upstairs and downstairs. Now it was all mainly on one floor, right? Right, right. And then downstairs it was all the uh, RPG stuff. I think instead okay. of because last year they had the minis and the like magic tournaments downstairs and they had all the convention booth upstairs, which I actually, I kind of liked the look of more when it, it looked like last year, the hall was packed with these booths, right? 
where this year it was like like half less than half of the hall there were vendor booths set up and then the rest was all seating which was conveniently very nice like it was nice not to have to go to another part of the building just to find, just to sit down for a second and rest your feet you know where like last year you couldn't really do that and i i, I want to ask you your opinion about this carlo to me it seemed that there were more resellers than manufacturers. Um, yeah. What do you mean by that? So, like, um, I like going to the original manufacturer and seeing what's going on. And it didn't seem like the big manufacturers were there. I was very, very unimpressed because that's the other thing I was hoping to get. I was hoping to get some Forge World stuff. But I was very, you know, I was not oh. impressed with the Warhammer they had Ford World, Ford World, they Ford did. World in the back, so you had to like ask them for it. What you were yeah, looking for? They yeah. had no custody stuff. Oh, that stinks. Yeah, I guess like if you're going to a place like Pax, I mean, I felt like they had more at Nova, right? Than they brought to Pax. I agree, one hundred percent. And then the table they set up for Warhammer for. So they had like a kill team and a Necromunda table and a bunch of learning tables, but they had like for the 40k table, it was the same size as the kill team table. So if you're gonna, if you want to get people in this game, I feel like you need to show them how grand of a game that it is, right? And set up a full table with a full set of terrain and be like, this is how the game is actually played. Because I didn't see, I don't. Like, did you see any other games that scaled themselves down like that to be represented at PAX? I didn't. Yeah. I, right. I, did, I You know, I felt like it was more of an afterthought. I, I, let, me, let, me, let me restate that. I didn't feel like they took PAX seriously. And in the first two years, I felt like all the manufacturers took PAX seriously. And I don't know what's going on that, you know, to me, they should treat it just as aggressively as they treat a Gen Con for the number of people it draws. Yeah, because I think yeah. there are, what, 10,000 people there, right? Yeah. Yep. Were they, so, were they pushing um, Aeronautica Imperialis? Or? I, didn't, I did not see any of their board games. Hmm. And I'm going to just count that as a board game. They had the new Necromunda. That's the only thing that really like caught my eye was the big Necromunda box with the new faction in it. Okay, yeah. But... Which yeah, is really, I don't th- really expensive. It is. It's like over. It's like two hundred seventy dollars. I think. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. So, I don't know if that's the right setting to try and sell something like that because that's someone's almost entire budget going into packs. When you're seeing like, like I know for me, like I like to pick up a thirty dollar thing over here, like uh, maybe some of those board games you can get for like ten to fifteen bucks, like the little card games and stuff. And you get like the thing about packs is you want to walk out of there with a with uh, kind of like a menagerie of items, right? So when you're trying to sell people on a $270 board game, I don't think you're going to have a lot of people that are buying it at PAX. So I went to Cold Wars um, and at the Valley Forge Casino, and um, that was like a, a couple of weeks before. It was like right after Thanksgiving. And the Cold Wars, was a, it's a small, it's really a convention focused on historical miniature wargaming. And they had all of those things there. I just felt like they did a, you know, it's a smaller thing. A lot of uh, resellers, mostly resellers, very few manufacturers. 
and um, a lot of, uh, what do they call them, flea markets where people set up a table and they're selling this stuff, which is fine. And it's, it's for that. I just feel that PAX was a couple of magnitudes above that. And that was a shame because it should be way more than that. PAX should not, PAX Unplugged is not Origins. It should be bigger than Origins, but it's not. Why do you think that is? You think like the Philly market is just so still expanding, kind of? They're not really want to dip all their feet into it. Uh, I believe. All their eggs in one basket. Nope. I believe it all stems from the fact that doing something in Philadelphia is really, really expensive. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) Yeah, it's really, really expensive. And I think manufacturers who come are not necessarily prepared for the cost. Um, not to say any names, but somebody very highly placed at um, Privateer Press, Press, who do War Machine. Him and I talked, had a real good conversation about the game and about his experience. And there were two things he said that really struck me. He said he was surprised by how many people were actually there. He said they didn't expect these many people. They were overwhelmed. But he was also surprised by how expensive every little thing was. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, I think that's one of the things. I think Philadelphia has a very growing, I'm going to use the word exploding gaming community across all genres of gaming. And I think it's a great opportunity for uh, manufacturers to come into this area because we're pulling from all over. But it's not really kind of, you know, I, I was really disappointed. I expected to have more conversations like I did um, at the. Uh, I got to tell you, I've had better conversations at uh, Nova, and where you can you have time to talk to the people, the manufacturers are actually there. Right, right. That means a lot. Yeah, yeah. Right. And that's what I appreciate about the Ethereum booth. It's always the same guys there. You know, they're always. And if it's not, it's like they're just as knowledgeable. Yeah. As right. you know, it's always their best foot forward. So. Yeah. With that, we will wrap up section one. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with section two. Welcome, scouts. Welcome back, Section 2. Welcome, Scouts. In this section, we try to help out players that are maybe new to the game or newer to the game uh, by talking about some facet of the hobby that might help them uh, get on board quicker or more easily, or shed some light on a topic for more veteran players that they may overlook. This week, this, this episode, rather, we're talking about boxed sets. I bring up these boxed sets because I feel like in the last year, 40K has seen a ton of them. And what I mean by box set when we talk about this is a small, over $100 box that contains two small forces of different factions, a small version of the main 40K rulebook, and then a, a larger booklet that has both a bit of narrative in it, and then specific scenarios that you can play out using the two forces in there. I feel like the the veteran 40k players that I know who buy these boxes buy them for how that how one half of that box or both halves of that box they have multiple armies can be added to their existing army. 
So I think more often than not, a veteran player, you know, takes the booklet and just kind of casts it aside. You know, somebody who's playing competitive match to play games, maybe not, maybe isn't going to spend a ton of time in the booklet that comes along with them. Um, whereas for a newer player, if you're not buying that box with someone who has an interest in or who needs the other half of that box, uh, it, you know, it, it might not be the best choice, or is it? Because, you know, a lot of people do grow into owning two armies down the road anyway. In addition to all that, I think it's it's really interesting and great, especially with gamers like us who are interested in not only matched play, but some of the other styles of play, too. Um, I do like the fact that there are booklets in each of these boxes that, you know, contribute to the overall 8th edition so far story arc and give you some different scenarios to play out with smaller armies. Um, it's always it's always really great to see a, a new way to play 40k, a new some new objectives, some new you know whatever it happens to be in each book. It's nice to see, especially if there's like a miniature campaign system, which in most of these books there is. So it's two small forces. Maybe it's a three or five game campaign, but there is a little you know a chart you can follow to play through the different scenarios. And right now there's there's a number of these boxes available. Not all of them are still up at the Games Workshop website, but there's a ton available still in the sales channel. So we're looking at um, Blood of the Phoenix. We're looking at Shadow Spear. Dark Imperium, the 8th edition starter box, is still around. Uh, Tooth and Claw is still around. And Forge Bane is still around. So that that's five options there of two different armies in one box that can be you know really appealing to a veteran player or a newer player um what are what gents what's your take on these boxes how do you buy them how do you use them and what would you say to a newer player who has the shadow spear box for instance in their hands at a store and they're looking to get into the hobby i, I want to say that i think you should start with a start collecting box and the start collecting box combined with one of these boxes may give you a decent playable army. But I find that the box sets, I, I don't know that you get enough in them if you're a new player. Now, that doesn't mean there's certain things in the book like the, when they give you the mini rule book or mm -hmm. the mini card with all the rules. Those are really, really valuable. The only time that I have done a box set is when I purchased two box sets mm. and um, split them with somebody so that we could each end up with that small rule book and I ended up with double that was in the box set. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know? that's a good point because then you get all of the tools and like you said, the rules and stuff for both people where usually if you buy and split a box set, you have to then decide, oh, who's getting... You know the book that comes with it. Who's getting the? As you end up having to like rip pages out mm. of something because you have to. You have your uh, data sheets, you know. And right. one, now with the Shadow Spear, they did a good job of splitting those up. I think they give you one book for chaos and one book for the Imperium stuff. But, yeah. Um, sometimes they don't always do that. I think they do represent a good value if you use them that way to have especially to do two. I mean, that, that's a nice way to do it because then you have a decent army of both if you need it or a decent addition to a larger force if you have one that already exists. Um, you know, I always kind of, I always circle back to the narrative of this stuff because that's a big part of the hobby for me. I like the fact that in 8th edition that the, the story arc has been moved along 
by each of the booklets that has come with these. I have all of them through um, Shadowspear. I haven't uh, bought the Blood of the Phoenix booklet yet. So neither of those, neither of the forces in Blood of the Phoenix are of interest to me, but the, you know, the booklet itself, I think, has some value, especially for those of us who are into the, the story arc. Um, I can remember buying the, the, the Forgebane box, uh, the Forgebane booklet, rather, um, and was keen to play with the um, Armager Helverins, I think, came in that box, because that was the first yep. place we saw those, right? Uh, keen to play Admech versus Necrons, although we should still do this. We haven't gotten around to it yet, but but we should play through all those scenarios, because we both have those those armies. So I think that these are a, a really cool way to maybe have a smaller game, sure, but to play through all the scenarios that come in the booklets. Um, let, let me ask you a question. I'm coming from your, your, your mechanic side. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have a Forge Bane set you know, you're getting you're first getting into it, mm-hmm. or that uh, which is two forty nine, mm-hmm. and let's assume you're going to split that with somebody. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have that, or would you rather have the uh, start collecting the Skatari start collecting site, which is eighty bucks? Yeah, I would I would definitely start with the start collecting there, and then add like another box to that, and like some Castellans, or yeah, I, I, or, or or one of the other units. You know, yeah. you know what's also good are the APOC boxes and the which are oh. available all year round that are an amazing deal and the uh, Battleforge boxes that they release for the holidays. You know, you bring up a good point. Are the Apocalypse boxes a better start for a player who might have a little bit more change in their pocket and who wants to jump in a little bit uh, more fully than what you can do with the start collecting box? Hold on. I think it depends need, on the box. Let me qualify his 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 statement there because if you look at that apocalypse box i'm just looking at it's on the apocalypse chaos box right which is 200 bucks so the thing about it is if you're going to start a chaos space marines army and you get to start collecting right by the time you get to the point that that 200 box is going to get you how much will you have spent you follow what i'm saying yeah you spend more than 200 i think right the astra militarum box um, there's an Asher Militarum Spearhead Apocalypse box. If you were to get that, and that that spare that's 190, and you were to add that to the Asher Militarum Star Collecting box, you you're in a really good position. So I'm just what the the thing that I'm challenging is, you know, I believe that a box set. Um, if you're going to buy a box set, let me ask this question: If you're buying a box set, what are you buying it for? Yeah, yeah. Anybody? Anybody? Uh, to have more stuff. Is that there it is? Right. So you know, when you buy a shadow, I I feel like the sh- uh, uh, the shadow spare box set, right? Which has two different factions. Yeah. It's designed for at one hundred forty eight dollars. It's designed for you to go in with somebody. Yes. That that's the that's the only box that I have bought outright because I wanted to add those uh, Primaris Marines to my Iron Hands and I did split it with somebody. And I bought it because it, I, I, I think it, this box in particular, especially for the uh, Primaris Marines, represents a good value versus buying those units separately apart from the box. It is a good savings, yes. So now when you bought that box, what did you, did you split it with somebody? Yep, yep, yep. That was, that was the plan from the jump. Yep. What did you do with the stuff inside? Not, uh, the, not the miniatures. The rule book, et cetera, et cetera. As Carlo brought up, there are two. There's a chaos book and a uh, imperial book in there. So I kept the imperial side and just gave the other half away. Yep. 
Yeah. And was there a miniature rule book or, or you know, one of uh, There was. Yep, there was. And neither of us needed that because they tend to accumulate after a while. You wind up with a couple of those after a little bit of time in the hobby. Yeah. Right. I would tell everybody if you wind up with a couple of those, go ahead, just put it in a quart size baggie and leave it at your local gaming store for a new player. Yeah, it's a great idea. Totally. Leave it, leave it at your game. Everybody needs the rules. You can get the rules online, but that's something that's easy to carry. Yep. So yep. just let somebody else use it. I do that all the time, recycle stuff, yeah, rather than idea. just let it pile. Um, so th- that's my only thing. I feel like some of these some of these sets, they really give you the ability to get into the game, to start a core army and build up from that. I find that, you know, if you you if you have an existing army. A set can help you augment that army, mm. but I don't know if I would tell a new player that I would start there. But I, you know, I could I could be wrong because when I when I look at the um, uh, Forge Bane set, the Forge Bane set was nice, but there's no way in hell I would tell a new Necron player to start there. Right, right, because the stuff in the box isn't flexible enough, isn't useful enough to somebody trying to build to a, like a battalion level army or something like that. Yeah, or even to 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 pay play a decent patrol. Right. right. A patrol-level game. It really isn't. Sure. Sure. Um, Let's transition the conversation quickly to Psychic Awakening. Um, This series of books and data cards and um, models, in the case of the Eldar, uh, have been springing up over the last couple of months. I kind of missed the boat completely until more recent rumors have started about uh, Grey Knights and... uh, more armies being focused on in, in subsequent books. It didn't, um, you know, because I didn't play Eldar, because I don't play Eldar when the first book came out, I just assumed it was going to be a one-off book as, you know, of just kind of buffs for the Eldar. But since then, there's been uh, three books come out. The first is uh, Phoenix Rising, Van, Faith and Fury, and uh, most recently Blood of Baal, which is the um, Blood Angels-focused books. And I feel like I've missed the boat um, because there's, from what I understand now, there's there's a ton of narrative in each of these books that that might be kind of shuffling us along towards what could be coming in ninth edition, which might be coming out next year. Um, I, I haven't so I haven't bought these books yet. I need to get all three just to kind of keep up with the narrative, which I've, I've been sleeping on. Um, have you guys gotten these books? Are they worth an investment for somebody who doesn't play that particular army? And uh, Carlo, how do you see them kind of falling into the you know the competitive scene right now? Uh, sorry, I was just thinking about how much you must have been living under a rock to not see that. Come on, Tim. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know it's, it's been busy. Wait, what rock were you on? <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're you totally. He was like, "We're doing a campaign for Psychic Awakening. We're posting stuff constantly for it." It's on yeah. the website every day. We have our own website dedicated to it. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw like the teaser video, and I was like, "Okay, Psychic Awakening is here, and this is it." And then Tim, it keeps. Tim, let me let me ask you a question, Tim. Do you remember <laughs> at the end of Seventh Edition when they put out that three book set? Oh yeah, that had the whole thing with Gilliman returning. Oh yeah. Did you feel? Did you miss that? <laughs> I, I bought I bought all three because I knew. Listen, listen to me, Tim. No, Tim, no, I that. It just and didn't. It didn't occur to me that. 
<laughs> it did. It didn't occur to me, and I'm not the sharpest tack in, in the box, right? It didn't occur to me that this was the eighth edition equivalent of that, right? But I feel like when they launched that for seventh edition, it was clear that this is like a huge deal for the storyline, and it's moving us along. You know, Gilliman is back, and you know, all this great stuff is happening. We got great facts. All this stuff is happening to bring us into eighth edition. But I, but when when they dropped Phoenix, when they dropped Psychic Awakening, I felt like okay, it's like a, a tweak to some psychic rules. But it's obviously much more than that, and I have been sleeping on it, yes. It didn't occur to me that this was the same kind of setup to get us into the next year and to get us into the next edition of the game. So, first of all, Blood Angels got a huge bump in it. Am, am I right, Carlo? I think so. Um, I don't really care until I see a Space Wolves thing. <laughs> okay. You know what? That's okay. I, I, I respect that. I, respect nah, I think they did, and I think they, they're getting doctrines now which is super important for any marine army and you know with space wolves dark angels and blood angels didn't get them when um the marine codex came out obviously so it's good to see them getting some extra rules now i'm not sure specifically what they got uh do you do you have any examples of uh um they um uh uh their main character crossed the rubicon into primaris one of their main characters mephiston right yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they, and they got the Intercessor Death Companies now right. too, right? Yeah, they yeah, got a bunch of I stuff, remember. and and the rules allowed them. Um, they were they were good at the beginning, and then it was just okay. But now they're they're right they're right back up there. I played a couple of games against some um, some of them, and uh, it's it's you know it's, it was enough to make me go, oh, isn't that cute, crush? But um, <laughs> it, 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 I really really like it. But you know, I have been on high alert for two reasons. One. They talk a little bit about the sisters, but as part of this, but not in this, the sisters get their release. But the other thing is they 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 said every every army was getting something. And I can't for the love of me figure out what they're going to do with Necrons. And so I've been watching it very, very diligently. Didn't uh, did the Alpha Legion come out in Faith and Fury? Oh, uh, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. I think the Alpha Legion might have gotten their own special rules that they didn't have before. Um, so it, it, I, I have been watching it very, very closely. But, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tactical, uh, it says here that expanded army rules for the heretic, expanded army rules for the heretic Astartes, including malicious volleys, daemon weapons, new warlord traits, stratagems, relics, tactical objectives, and named generators for each of the world legions, war bearers, night lords, alpha legion, iron warriors, empress children, and world uh, world eaters. I might have said that for twice. Word bearers was the first one. I think everybody's talking about them. another Primarch is coming back. Unfortunately, all signs lend, lend, seem to be pointing to Fulgrim. But it's unclear because apparently Fulgrim got cloned. Oh, really? Is this news? There is a Fulgrim walking, or there was a Fulgrim walking around who was not the Damon Prince. Right. So it's, uh, a, is it, um, oh, wow, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out. You know, I feel like the loyalists need a Primark. Um, so you know, people are is saying all kinds of things. What did you say? <laughs> I said, is it all fairies? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? 
So all of this is kind of going around. I, I find that a lot of the books, um, even more so than the um, what do they call than the 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 arm the codexes the codices whatever, even more so than this these filler books right here they really work to advance the story. And they, they you know I I'm I'm not joking man the the Return of Gilliman which such good reading. Rise of the Primarch. Yes. The whole thing was yes. such good reading. Forget yes. what it did for the armies. Yes. So get with it, Tim. I need to get with it. You're absolutely right. You know, it's as I said, the last you know the last couple of months have been really, really crazy. I have been you know I have been trying to follow everything the best that I can, but between Psychic Awakening and everything else that's been happening with 40k in the last couple of months, I honestly have been having trouble keeping up. So I got to get on it. I'm going to send a note today to my uh, my secret gaming store and see if they can put to, put aside these Psychic Awakening books for me. I feel like rather than a note, you're probably doing some sort of like. Telegraph. Redacted, redacted, stop. <laughs> but the, book two is Faith and Fury. Yes. Uh, the Blood of Baal is not actually in the Psychic Awakening series, is it? Yes. That's not book yes. three. Yes, first one, right? That, uh, yeah, it's, Psychic it's, it's Awakening. A third one. Blood yep. of Baal. It's the third one. Yeah. Yeah. That's the third one. Third one. Yeah. Okay. And apparently okay. in the next one, it's there's um, some Grey Knight stuff, which would be nice to see. But you know, I, as somebody who's into the narrative, I need to get on board. I, I, I gotta stop sleeping on this stuff. Here, get I'll post board. the website for you, bruh. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with that, we will take a short break. We will come back with section three: tactical upload. Dun dun dun. back through the mysteries of the internet we have rejoined 17 days later since we started recording this episode since we recorded parts one and two frankly i don't remember if we ended part two as a train wreck because one of us got a phone call or something we had to take so let's just pick it up here fresh with section three we'll go back and tidy up section two if necessary at some point in the future this is section three tactical upload today we're looking at the new well one month old inquisition rules from the White Dwarf, November 2019 issue. So the ability to play the Inquisition in 40K has been around for a long time. There have been various tweaks to it over the years. 7th edition had that really cool Agents of the Imperium rulebook, which kind of covered all of these smaller niche Imperial factions and put them into the the 40K meta. Um, But the November 2019 issue put some new stuff together for us. Lavelle, I know you've been playing with Inquisitors for a long time. Um, what does the, what do these new rules do for us and uh, how they've been fitting into your games? So first, let me uh, make a shout out. There is a YouTube channel called Codex Compliant. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. And one of the things that they do is they look back at codexes, codices over time. And when they first came out and when the faction was introduced, I haven't seen one on the Inquisition, but I believe the Inquisition started in a codex uh, called Imperial Agents, was it? Did they they ever have their own codex? But they were in the Imperial Agents Codex, remember that? 
So a couple of things that this. Um, I, I, first of all, I'm a I'm a real good I'm a real big fan of what I'm seeing here in the White Dwarf. Um, they kept a couple of key things: is quarry, which allows them to re-roll uh, wound and hit rolls on a specific type based on the auto that the Inquisit- Inquisitor is in. That's that's fine and that's that's good. Authority of the Inquisition. There's a lot more meat in this rule than it used to be. The first thing it allows you to do, it, it, it allows you to, an Inquisitor or any of the Inquisition people, to board any transport that is Imperial. Now, it won't allow a Terminator unit to board a um, transport that's not normally. There are some Terminator-clad Inquisitors. They won't allow them to board a transport that can't normally take an Inquisitor. But that means you can have, you still got your space limit. You could have a unit of nine Primaris and one Inquisitor in there. Um, And that can be pretty, pretty powerful depending on who that is. But the thing that really took me by surprise, I actually had to read it differently before I understood it. You can now include one Inquisitor in any army. He can't take any of the other units, but just one single Inquisitor in any army without using without losing your um, army abilities. For example, I ran a custodes list with all custodes and Eisenhorn. Now, I couldn't put any of the elites in there, but just Eisenhorn. He does not take up Inquisition slots. You still need the points for him. And the army can retains its um, army-wide ability. For a, un- for a unit, I mean, for an army that has no psychers, that's pretty powerful. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why I put Eisenhorn. I got in a real heated discussion with another player about whether Eisenhorn or Greyfax was better. But it was it was really, really good. And it really was, a, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to use the term game changer, but it was a game shifter. It shifted the game a little bit more in my favor because it allowed me to deal with something in my custodes army that I had no ability to deal with in that psychic powers. Lavelle, let's zoom out for one second. Let's go back a, a column there and talk about that quarry rule. Um, let's. There are three. There are three big houses of in, of the of or, ordos groups ordos. Of, of inquisitors. Two ordos. Right? Yeah. Um, Malleus, Hereticus, and Xenos. Yeah. So Malleus is is a uh, anti demons. So those are the enemies. Without well, anti demon and anti chaos, anti chaos. Yep, um, hereticus is enemies within, so those are heretics, so those are chaos or psyker units that it can re roll, uh, hit and wound rolls on. Uh, xenos, chaos, imperium, or unaligned units can re roll the hit and wound rolls, those are the enemies beyond. And this no, one, no, no, xenos is units that are not, not chaos, chaos so yep. not chaos, right? So, so that would yeah. be. I believe, but that would be real bad. bad. Yeah, like yeah, Xenos is like anything <laughs> that's alien, right? And then I think this is actually the coolest one, Ordo Minoris. So if you want to make up your own Ordo, because there are many smaller, less successful, less popular, less well-known, more shadowy Ordos of the Inquisition, you can make up your own. And when resolving an attack made by a model in this unit against a character unit, you can reroll hits and wounds against characters with that one, which is kind of cool. But you know what's really interesting about that, that you need to be careful with, with that auto right there? It's already hard, harder to hit characters. 
So you would still, with that auto, Minoris, you would still need the ability to target a character. That's it. Target is a bad word. Which you can get, which we'll talk about in a page or two, which you can get that ability using um, uh, one of their um, telethesia discipline psychic abilities, which Inquisitors have access to. I'm going to talk about the psychic abilities because I'm very – let's go – can we go to the stratagems? Yeah, let's do stratagems next, absolutely. Yeah, there are only four stratagems. Cyclonic torpedo, inquisitorial mandate, seize for interrogation, and requisition. Cyclonic torpedo is a four CP stratagem. In my mind, it's just too expensive. <laughs> but it allows you to pick a point and everything within that point, 2D6, you roll within 2D6 inches of that point, suffers D3 mortal wound. That's a little like that um, Necron stratagem where you have the Doomsday Arcs. I'm sorry, the Doomsday uh, Flyers. And you pick a point and then – so that's a little bit like that. But at four CPs, it's a really, really expensive one. Seize for interrogation, inquisitorial mandate, and requisition are all one CP. But the only one that me that was – let me not say – let me say the one that I really like – is inquisitorial mandate, which allows you to give your um, one of your um, that inquisitor a warlord trait. So, and it's only one CP. So, if you think about it, I took Inquisition of the Authority, added the uh, inquisitor in there, and then for one CP gave him an Inquisition warlord trait. Yeah. That really, really well. It should have buffed them, but you know, we'll talk about the warlord traits a little bit. Mm-hmm. What about uh, Seize for Interrogation? Use this stratagem in any phase after an enemy character unit is destroyed within three inches of any Inquisition units from your army. Gain D3 command points and subtract one from the leadership characteristic of enemy units until the end of the battle. But you can only use that once per battle. That's To the- me, that was really situational. It's really interesting, though, because as we'll learn and we look at each individual Inquisition units, all of your... Um, you know, the every member of the Inquisitorial Warband is its own Inquisition unit. So you can actually cover quite a bit of ground and situationally take advantage of this to get command points back. Look at requisition. Use this stratagem in your shooting phase, the fight phase, or your opponent's charge phase. When an Imperium infantry or Imperium biker unit from your army that is in with that is within three inches. I'm sorry, within six inches. Of a friendly Inquisitor unit fires Overwatch or is chosen to shoot or fight with. Until the end of that phase, when resolving an attack made by a model in that unit against an enemy unit specified in that Inquisition unit's quarry ability, re-roll a hit roll of one. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, I use that ability. Um, uh, uh, I had um, Eisenhorn and his quarry was, you know, Xenos. But had, and I was playing a Chaos Army. Had I have had a, um, either one of the other order, my major autos, because mm-hmm. I, I charged it with my bike unit, that would have been really powerful. Yeah, yeah. So situational, you have to play it ahead for that, depending upon who, right. you're, who you're against. But yeah, really cool. Um, let's turn the page and look at the individual Inquisitor units. Of course, there are these named... Inquisitor models that you can choose to take. There's Grayfax, Kodiez, Karamazov, and Eisenhorn. And then, the, yeah, the, so those are the big four 
that, that GW and Forge World makes models for. Um, Greyfax, we know from the tr- uh, Triumvirate of the Imperium box, I think, from the um, end of 7th edition uh, right. story arc. She's a badass model. She has that great hat um, that, <laughs> yeah. I, that, I, that I really do like. Yeah. Side note, we should do an episode where we talk about the best hats in 40K. <laughs> I on. totally support that. <laughs> there are some best good hats. Answer. There are some good hats, yeah. Um, Inquisitor Greyfax, she's a five-wound model, strength three, toughness three, ballistics and weapons skills of three. She has a three-up save, leadership of ten. They're all leadership ten, which is badass. Right, but let, before you go on, let me talk about one ability that they all have that mm-hmm. can be a game-changer. They all have unquestionable wisdom. Friendly Empyrean units can use this this model's leadership instead of their own while they're within six inches of the model. Yeah. Which kind of makes units like, like Necrons. Yeah, I said it like Necrons. Because <laughs> yeah. all Necron units have 10th leadership 10. Yeah, and, and if you go up to um, the Warlord Traits table, uh, two pages ahead, if you give anybody that third Warlord trait of Formidable Resolve... Add plus one to this warlord's leadership characteristic and increase the range of unquestionable wisdom by six inches. So you can have 12-inch leadership 11 <laughs> uh, uh, bubbles going on and around if you your had an imperial, if you had an imperial guard army, extra militarum, that would be pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, to side note for a second, it would be really interesting to do a... Inquisition slash Imperial Guard Army where you picked an Ordo Minoris, you made up your own Ordo, and you made up like some obscure shadowy Imperial Guard regiment to put them with. You could put a lot of surprises on that table that way. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah, my, I'm thinking about that. My uh my Krieg army, which doesn't take any morale from shooting, and they're really, really tough and close combat, they could really use a nice Inquisitor. So Greyfax has the Psyoculum. Uh, she can target Psyker character or demon characters, even if they are not the closest enemy unit, which is really cool. Um, she also has Indomitable, uh, plus one to deny the witch tests. And she can uh, manifest and deny, manifest one and deny two psychic powers. And she knows. She's pretty, she, she is a pretty, pretty strong character. She she has a point cost of eighty five. Yes, Grayfax is eighty five. She is a one unit model, uh, one model so unit. If you think about that in the in the, in the list, you just drop this person, and no need to break your uh, your your army, and it's eighty five points, and you get all that ability. And you get two denies, which is really cool. Um, Kodiaz is up next. Uh, Kodiaz, I think, if I remember correctly, the model he's I'm got. I'm sorry. The- Tim, yeah. I want to point out to our listeners, yeah. if you're playing Grayfax, pay attention. She casts one power, but denies two. Yep, yep, yep. Um, Cody has. He's got the eagle on his arm in the model, which is really, mm-hmm. really, really great looking. Isn't that a double-headed eagle? Yeah, he's got the really cool bionic eagle, which is nice. Um, he's, he is a uh, BS in weapon skill of three, strength three, toughness three, five wounds. Same stat line as Greyfax, except Cody is, has a two-up save. He's got more armor. Um, his neat, uh, his neat rule is spy network. When an enemy unit is set up on the battlefield as reinforcements, you can select one friendly Ordo Malleus unit within six inches of this model. 
The selected unit can shoot at that enemy unit as if it were your shooting phase. In addition, once per battle, when your opponent uses a stratagem, this model can use its spy network. If it does, your opponent must spend one additional command point to resolve that stratagem, or else it has no effect, and any command points spent on that stratagem are considered to not have been spent. This ability cannot affect stratagems used before the battle. Spy network is actually very powerful. It's got a five-up refractor field, again, agent's authority of the Inquisition and unquestionable wisdom. Uh, he can manifest two psychic powers and deny one. So he can both smite and do uh, and perform one of the other psychic powers from the Telethesia discipline. And he is Ordo Malleus. Let me tell you what's broken about broken what could be broken about this character. There is an inqu- it's a Forge World Inquisition model that is a land raider that has an incredible amount of shots. If you set him up next to that land raider, anytime they deep strike anything in, you will put a blistering amount of fire on that unit. And I do mean that. Are you talking about the Proteus? I think that might be it. I can't remember the name of it. You happen to have the stats for the Proteus? I'm looking up. It's got Infernal Hunger, Twin Heavy Bolt. So it's got uh, Twin Heavy Bolt, there are two Twin Last Cannons. That might not be the one you're talking about. Yeah. The model is an Inquisition Lamb Raider Prometheus. Prometheus, okay. And the Prometheus is equipped with two quad heavy bolters. It can also take a storm bolter and a multi-melter. So the quad heavy bolters are heavy 12s. So you will be pumping, and it hits on threes. So you will be pumping out strength 5, minus 1 AP, 1 damage each. A unit drops in from deep strike. You will be pumping in 24 shots, not even including the storm bolter. 36 inch range. Yikes! That's amazing. And en- yeah. enemy units do not receive the benefit to their saving throw for being in cover. Wait, so how is he shooting at um, a deep striking unit? Is because it ability from the yeah, spy his network, ability the spy network says mm-hmm. when an enemy unit is set up on the battlefield as reinforcements, you can select one auto malleus. And the uh, Inquisition Land Raider Prometheus is Imperium, the keywords, Imperium, Inquisition, and you can insert, insert any auto. And it doesn't restrict the range of the shot like most abilities, uh, like an aspect can? No, just the model. The model you sh- that's doing the shooting must be within six inches of that model. Hmm. Okay, so it's kind of like the Rune Priest... Um, Ability, uh, I forget what it was called, but yeah. right. And so, Ordo Malleus, uh, that is against chaos and demons. And so, that combination right there, you know, with it, they would shoot, hit on threes, reroll ones. That's pretty badass. That's a little, that's a dangerous little combination. Cody has in this, um, Land Raider, yes. And he can, it, and it can transport 10 models and, um, including Terminators. Hmm. hmm. That that sounds like something you need in your Grey Knight's army. It'd be really interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> Put that on my wish list. Um, let's turn the page and look at Inquisitor Karamazov. Karamazov. This is the big guy in the Throne of Judgment, which is awesome. It says repent on the front, I think. Um, it's like a repentia. Yeah, repentia. yeah. So he's got a 5-inch movement, 3-up uh, ballistics and weapons skills, strength 5, toughness 5, 8 wounds, 4 attacks, leadership 10, and a save of 4. His uh, special, neat uh, inquisitorial ability is called Supreme Will. 
When a psychic test is taken for an enemy model within 12 inches of this model, subtract 1 from the total. In addition, if the psychic power manifested by an enemy model targets this model, roll 2d6. If the total is greater than or equal to the psychic test total, this model is not affected by that power. Other models are still affected normally. Also, he's got this really good rule, dread reputation. Subtract one from the leadership characteristic of enemy infantry units while they are within 12 inches of this model. And his throne of judgment gives him a four-up invul save. So he's not a he's so he's not a psyker, but the power of his will alone lets him subtract one from uh, psychic psychic tests that your enemy is taking, and two d six can nullify those uh, psychic powers against this model. There are two things I want to say, a couple of things I want to say about this model. Mm. Um, he has a mastercrafted multi melter with a thirty inch range, strength eight minus four d six. That's pretty powerful, um, and when he attacks. Um, you know, he has the throne of judgment stomping feet, which we all know what that means. It stomps, but it makes 2d3 additional attacks. But let me listen. This is a guy in a chair. I need this model. <laughs> the, mo- the model is pretty I, great. I relate so much to being a guy in a chair. I <laughs> yes. my time in a chair, actually. And, <laughs> any model that can come to battle in his own easy chair, he's got my vote. <laughs> Yeah, most of the time I'm on a couch, just a bigger chair, you know what I mean? But uh, pretty much the same thing. Awesome. Which which does speak to one of the coolest things about having inquisitorial rules like these, and especially when you get into the acolytes. You can really make them look, you can really kitbash the heck out of these and, you know, sculpt them to look any like anything, really. And you could give, you know, you could put Karamazov in a lazy boy if you really wanted to, which would be kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> you won't do it. I will not do it, but it will be. <laughs> Let's move down to everybody's favorite, the ultra-famous through the Black Library novels, Eisenhorn. He is 6-inch movement, 3-up ballistics and weapons skill, strength 3, toughness 3, 5 wounds, 4 attacks, 4-up save with a leadership of 10. His interesting rules are radical bond. Whilst the demon host model. Hold it. Wait. Wait. Don't start there. You have to start at the Malice Codicium first. Because the Malice Codicium really feeds into Radical Bond. So let me read that. I have to say her it. Bat- Hold on. Can we just say it a little more like how it should be said? Malice Codicium. Like that. Once per battle. At the end of your movement phase, you can use this ability. If you do so, this model loses questionable, the questionable wisdom ability. Then, set up a Damon host unit within six inches of this model and more than nine inches away from an enemy model. Add two to that model, that's the Damon host's model, strength, toughness, wounds, and attacks. If this model, that's Eisenhorn, is destroyed, if Eisenhorn is destroyed, the Damon host will also be destroyed. And now, what Tim was reading, Radical Bond. While the Damon host model that was set up with this model's Mollus Codicium ability is within six inches of this model, when resolving an attack made by that model, add one to the hit roll and wound roll. And when resolving an attack against that model, add one to its invulnerable saves for the attack. 
That's pretty nasty. So let me just say there's a couple of things wrong with this. I use this combination right here. What I didn't realize, which I should have realized the first time I used it, is that Damon Host is a character. So um, later on, um, since it's a character, it does not screen Eisenhorn. Right. Eisenhorn still can be shot, which is something I thought I didn't really factor out the first few games I played it. And and so I was throwing Eisenhorn out there, and, and I, the results were, as you can imagine, bullets to the face. So sidebar, like I love how the – so the his leadership ability, unquestionable wisdom, like as soon as he uses the malice codicium, becomes really questionable, questionable. wisdom. <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Where would you see like the true bile really pops up you. and everybody's like, uh, <laughs> "What's <laughs> going on?" <laughs> yeah. Every, everyone's like, "Are we really? Are we really doing this? Are we really bringing a demon to the party?" <laughs> <laughs> he also has no stranger to pain. And it gives him a, essentially a six-up feel no pain. Mm-hmm. couple of things about him. He has no invulnerable save. He, so, you know, which was interesting. Grayfax has an invulnerable save. And he does not. He is five points cheaper than Grayfax at 80 points. Now, in my discussion of points, you see I skipped over Cody as, who is 90. And um, Easy Chair Guy is 115. But I like that. There were two things also that's interesting. He has two we- uh, melee weapons, Barbarister and Rune Staff. Barbarister is strength user. His strength is only three. Minus three, D3 damage. But when you make a hit roll, you add one to roll, one to the roll. So he's hitting on two with that. Is there... So for... um, Like, uh, Imperium has... Or, I'm sorry, great, like guard specifically has bodyguards, right? The um, yes, there's the something brood, for him. What are they called? We're gonna get to that so, in a minute, okay? Because I was gonna say, because right now, like the meta is so sniper heavy, like I feel like he would just die very quickly, like he'd be targeted. He does have five wounds, he is targeted a lot. Yeah. The other thing that he has his rune staff is plus three strength, which makes him a strength six, minus one AP D3 damage. So it's harder to hit because he doesn't get the plus one, and the AP is less. And he does have electro brain grenades, which allows him, um, he can throw them at it. They're really effective against a vehicle. Um, he can inflict mortal wounds on a roll of a 63. He's, he's really good. But can we skip ahead to deal with Carlo's question? Let's talk we're about the acolytes, yeah. The mm-hmm. acolytes, right. Yeah. The acolytes, because um, this is an important part of it. Um, an there, acolyte is only eight points. Yeah, and you can have up to six, in, and um, they have the authority, so they can get in and out of transports. If a unit of acolytes, and you know this was a change, if it contains one model, it gains the character keyword. So you know, I had three units thinking they would scream, but you know they're all characters. <laughs> and loyal servant. When a friendly auto inquisition model within three inches of the unit would lose a wound as a result of attack made against this model, the unit can attempt to intercept that attack. Roll 1d6 on a 2+, plus. that model does not lose those wounds, and one model from the unit is destroyed. Only one attempt can be made to intercept each attack. Now, I need to talk about this a little bit because I have screwed this rule up. If an acolyte, if, a, if, if Eisenhorn, 
is within rapid fire range of a custodian's jet pipe. So it is shooting, what's that, 24 shots or 12 shots, okay? That one bite, 12 shots, and he rolls to hit, and all of those rolls hit. One acolyte, in my reading of this, can absorb all of those hits. Am I correct? Sure. Wait, hold on. What, what is it? Go over that again. So uh, uh, acolyte is within, uh, I'm sorry, uh, acolyte is within three inches of Eisenhorn. Right. The cat, the, 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 the custody doesn't matter. I mean, the, not the custody, the custodies always matter. Inquisitor <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter. It's within three inches of a inquisitor, custo- uh, right? Right. And the jet bike is in rapid fire range, a custodian's jet bike of the inquisitor. Mm-hmm. The, the jet bike shoots his hurricane bolters giving them 12 attacks mm-hmm. or 12 dice on the jet bike attack. All 12 hit. Okay. No, you, so you're saying like all 12 get converted to one acolyte death, which is not the case. Cause okay. uh, it says per attack. When you read the acolyte rule, it says for each attack on a two up or something like that. Let me read it again. Acolyte, yeah. Let me read it again. Mm-hmm. When a friendly Ordo Inquisitor model within three inches of this unit would lose any wounds as a result of an attack made against that model. So this unit can attempt to intercept that attack. This was my reading of it. The jet bike is attacking with that one weapon. And that one weapon is rolling 12 dice. Now, that's, this is my question here. Do you agree with that, Carlo? Right, so um, you would it would be after like the Inquisitor makes the armor save, but before it would lose wounds, right? So, but each when you're firing like a rapid fire weapon, it's what's the profile on the on the hurricane bolter? You should have this memorized. It is okay. rapid fire, <laughs> rapid fire six. No, I'm only joking. It's what it's rapid fire. Six. What? Six for the one gun. Yes. Okay. Um yeah, I guess I'm like kind of fifty fifty on that because I think it would be let, one let, attack, right? Let's use this. Fire, yeah. Let's use the example of a flamer. Mm-hmm. A flamer that causes two D six hits. Right. Is that one attack you see what I'm saying there? Right, yeah. I think it is technically one attack, I guess. Yeah. Let's read it a little deeper. Because if you shoot like a LAS cannon, that's... It's still one attack. It's Right. Yeah, but you know, you're rolling two dice. It's each dice an attack. No, I think, it's, I think, I think it's the total from that weapon. I really do. So let's, let me just read it one more time. When a friendly Ordo Inquisitor model within three inches of this unit would lose any wounds as a result of an attack made against that model, this unit can attempt to intercept that attack. Roll 1d6 on a 2+, that model does not lose those wounds, and one model from this unit is destroyed. So, like, if you were to shoot, I can absolutely say if you were to shoot a LAS cannon, like, and no matter what the damage would be rolled, it would all go onto the, the Acolyte, right? So we just have the, like, in terms of a Hurricane Bolter, we would have to dis- distinguish what, if the, if 
rapid fire six or rapid fire. Yeah. If, if that is 12 let, separate attacks or one attack. So I, me, I don't know. Yeah. Right let now. me tell you yeah. my logic here. And I mm-hmm. have not tried this trick at home. <laughs> this is my logic. You cannot, you can split attacks. Mm-hmm. So if I have a, uh, if I have a, 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 a storm bolter and a hurricane bolter, I can shoot the storm bolter here and the hurricane bolter over there. Each one of those is an attack. That's but you can't I'm like saying. split up the one hurricane bolter shots. That's like you correct. can't shoot three over here and three over there and three at a different squad. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I need a yeah. ruling here before I reinvent reintroduce my acolytes. <laughs> no, no, um, no I, I think you're right. I think you're right. I feel like that's. I feel like you're right. But I think I would want to talk to Sasha about that first and maybe see what people are doing at top tables. Cause that's definitely something that needs a f- an FAQ or like we would consult like another rule that has already established precedent. Right. Right. So that and makes I just can't. sense. Yeah. So when I played before, I made the mistake of playing with three single acolytes thinking that they could screen. But what happened was it, it that game happened to be an ITC game, and he really cleaned up because pop, 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 each one of those was worth a point for his secondaries. Right. But I didn't really think about it then. So I think it's a good I mean, it it's a great idea to keep them as characters if you have other units that aren't characters that can screen because that means that your bodyguards can't be shot by any unit. You know what I mean? So you can save them for like the big attacks coming in. But if you're running them as normal units, then somebody could just shoot at them with bolters and kill them early. You yeah. know, so it's like it's like six of one, half dozen of the other. It's like what what is your the rest of your list doing? So what purpose can they serve? Yeah. You know? And you know, the last all they have is a last pistol and a chain sword. They have uh, weapon skill four, ballistic skill four. They do move six inches, strength three, toughness three, one wound, two attacks, leadership seven, and a save of five plus. Let me tell you, I went out and I purchased and, and read all of the Ravenous. And I am in the middle, I'm sorry, all of the Eisenhower books. I'm in the middle of the Ravener books. And I have to say, I do not feel when I read this line, the Acolyte uh, entry really does justice to the abilities of the Acolytes. Agreed. They're, they're not powerful enough in the game. Yeah. 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 Definitely. So true. you know what? They're no, not powerful and- enough. Nor are they versatile enough. Yeah, in the books, all the acolytes are really badass. They're not just lackeys carrying guns around. Yeah, they're not just guardsmen. Yep, yep, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but if we, but if you look above this entry in the <clears throat> Index Imperium in the November White Dwarf, you do see that we do get the Jokero Weaponsmith, which is usually, uh, from what I understand, the Jokero were like the simian. Uh, looking race that happened to be really good with technology and made the crazy weapons that uh, a lot of inquisitors carry around with them. Um, were they? They were like orange, orange haired, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, or am I right. thinking of Shadow Fist? No, okay, yeah. I think that's right. I always like so Lavelle. Don't you always like compare them to what was that faction in Shadow Fist that was jammers. all the the jammers? <laughs> yeah, I always whenever I think of Jokera, I think of the jammers from Shadow Fist. Yeah, but go on. Yeah. 
so so their cool their cool rule is called inconceivable customization. At the start of your shooting phase, you can select one friendly Ordo unit within three inches of this model and roll one d6. Apply the result from the following table to that selected unit until the end of the turn. So if you roll a one or two, you get augmented targeting. That's a re-rolling hit rolls from the selected unit. A three or four, you get augmented penetration. You get uh, to re-roll wound rolls from the given unit. And five, six, total augmentation, you can re-roll hits and wounds from the targeted unit, which is really kind of badass. You can come up with some cool combinations with that. If you roll five or six and re-rolling again um, for a given unit, it's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, again, they are a uh, six-inch movement, six-up uh, six weapon skill, four-up ballistic skill, strength two, toughness three weapons, uh, wounds three, rather, uh, two attacks, uh, a seven-up save, Woo! and uh, leadership of seven. But they do have the five-up invulnerable save. They do have their defense orbs, which is the five-up invulnerable, yes. So the monkeys got the five-up uh, invulnerable saves, the acolytes didn't. <laughs> yep. And invuls are so important right now. I mean, like, just because how much AP weaponry is going around with all the doctrines introduced for Marines, like, you really got to protect your your units. If we could back up a little bit, because we we, we went straight to there, and I should have had us read, because this is important to Eisenhorn. And with Eisenhorn, the Damon host, I want to go over the the raw stats for the Damon host. And remember, he buffs it. It has a six-inch move, weapon skill, ballistic skill of four, strength four, toughness four, four wounds, three up save, and leadership of seven. And he has uh, unholy gaze, which is a strength uh, range of 12, assault one, strength eight, uh, minus one AP, one damage. And if you roll a six on that damage, the damage changes from one to three. I did not feel that that was anywhere strong enough for a ranged weapon. And it has Warp Grass, which is melee um, strength user, which again is four, minus three, uh, one, in- I'm sorry, uh, one attack. I-, I-, I just did not get that ability. He does have, just like the Jokero, he has demonic power. And so at the beginning of the turn, you um, roll a D6, and depending on what you roll, he gets different abilities. So the first one is demonic speed on a one to two. He changes his move characteristics from six to 12 and he can fly Um, three to four. Now, this is pretty badass right here. If you roll a three to four, he re-knit host form. The model regains all of its wounds, which is, you know, (laughs) I like that. And uh, five to six energy D6 for each enemy unit within three inches of that model. On a two plus, that unit, that model, that unit suffers D three mortal wounds, and he has a five up invulnerable save. Now, so if uh, what's his name, Eisenhorn summons him, that five up turns into a four up. The five up turns into a four up. Um, let's see, his attack roll changes to three pluses, and he gets uh, uh, one plus six, one wound. Strength six, toughness six. And six yeah. wounds, yeah. Yeah, I still didn't think, again, if you if you read the books and see the daemon that he has, I, I don't think it's high, it's high enough. and I don't think this is spicy enough. Hmm. I don't know. Strength so, six, toughness six demon is pretty, pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, but it's not like, I mean, maybe, maybe. Maybe I'm being greedy. He's pretty badass, especially if you're re-knitting host forms every couple of turns. That's kind of nice. Let's talk about the 
they they the bare bones inquisitor. So it gives you the ability to build an inquisitor, yeah. which is fine. But I didn't understand Auto Malleus Inquisitor and Terminator Armor. I mean, this is a great unit right here. But why only Auto Malleus and Terminator? You see what I'm saying? Why didn't they do an Auto and uh, uh, Inquisitor and Terminator Armor and a regular Inquisitor and let you build an Auto in either one? Good question. I think because Xenos are really fast and they would just run away from uh, <laughs> Terminator, you know? Uh, I so, think that this, the Auto Malleus may have inten- been intended to be a, um, what do they call them? A Grey Knight. Because mm. they do get a nem- they have access to the Nemesis Damon Hammer. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. But I thought that was interesting. Let me ask a sort of a nitpicky fluff question here. Inquisitors are never space marines, so how is this human in Terminator armor? Is it real Terminator armor? Or is it slightly scaled down Terminator style armor? I notice it's not called tactical dreadnought, dreadnought armor here anywhere, but. I thought that they gave. Um... Oh, I remember having this question asked before, and I could have sworn that there was a uh, a reason in the fluff given, like that it wasn't actual Terminator armor; it was like a step down from it. Do you remember well, something like that, Lavelle? Why can the Sisters of Battle have power armor then? Well, that's that's different power armor. They're not wearing like Mark IV, Mark V, Mark VIII, or any of the other. You know, they're not wearing Space Marine power armor. Well, we have to assume it's the same thing. Yeah, you're probably right. It's a, so there are certain things that allow a space marine, I think it's the carapace, yeah. that allows the space marine to more effectively use the power armor than any normal person. Because a space marine, if I'm, if I'm correct, can effectively live for months in his power armor. Correct. I don't think they address the issue of how he goes to the bathroom, but we don't need to talk about that. No. <laughs> so, and, uh, oh, yeah, because uh, in space marines, like, they're waste is recycled right yep. so because of their extra organs that they get and Correct. they're able to do that yep. so maybe the inquisitor is just eating his own caca as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a cla- i think in this particular case it is a class of armor that is very similar to terminator armor i'll go with that all right i'll go with that so there are let's be clear here there are only three warlord traits and then there are three other warlord traits that you can take based on your auto. Um, and one is radical. Once per battle round, you can reroll hit room one, hit roll, wound roll, damage roll, or savings throw. Psychic test. You can reroll one dice um, for with radical puritan. You can improve the invulnerable save by one. To a maximum of three. And Formidable Resolve, and that's the one we already mentioned, you can increase the leadership and the range of it. Now, each each Ordo has a specific um, a Warlord trait. And if you choose the character, one of the named characters, you have to choose a specific Warlord trait. Which I didn't really, I didn't really like in terms of the, the, the Warlords I like to play. So, no escape. Um, this is Ordo Hereticus. This warlord can perform in heroic interventions within six inches. Um, and you can reroll 1d6. Um, it's, it's a little funky. I did not like Esoteric Lore, which is Xenos. Uh, whilst the warlord is with on the battlefield, roll a d6 each time your opponent uses a stratagem 
on a five plus, you gain a command point. Why didn't I like it? That's a great. But I didn't feel that. I felt like that lore, I mean, that battle, um, that warlord trait needed to be on the other side. It needs to be more generic. I didn't, yeah. And psychic mastery um, for Ordo Malleus. The warlord knows one additional psychic power from the telethesia discipline and can attempt to manifest one additional psychic power in your psychic phase and deny one. I tried to give that because I was really gleeful to Eisenhorn. I'm backing up to Eisenhorn. Uh, Eisenhorn can manifest two powers and deny two powers. But you can't give that to Eisenhorn. But Cody, but Cody has, has to take that, which is cool because he can manifest two and deny one. So he knows Smite and then two others with this uh, Warlord trait, which is cool. So that means he can manifest three. If mm-hmm. he, take, he can manifest three and deny two, which is not bad. Let's go hey. over the Telethesia at this minute. No, yeah. he, can, he can manifest. Before you go on, I have two little uh, uh, responses to questions we asked ourselves earlier in the podcast. Yeah. Okay. okay. So going back to your first um, issue with the number with the attacks on the acolyte uh, in the big rule book, it says under the shooting phase number of attacks. And it says each time a model shoots a ranged weapon, it will make a number of attacks. So even though you're shooting one weapon, each of those it's attacks is attack. a different attack. So you roll one dice for each attack being made. The number of attacks a model can make with a weapon, and therefore the number of dice you can roll is found on the weapon's profile. So I think that answers that question. So it each does answer the question. Shot would be one accolade dying, right? And then all the right. other thing, was, Tim, was, Tim, if you could edit out my heresy, I will edit out all the heresy. <laughs> Done. So and and then uh, Terminator armor. It says in the wiki for Terminator armor. Um, less frequently, high-ranking members of the Inquisition have been known to wear a form of Terminator armor sized for an ordinary human occupant. Ah. No- notably, members of the Ordo Malleus in particular have been known to favor suits of Terminator armor. However, lacking the genetically engineered subdermal space marine organ known as the Black Carapace, Inquisitors are unable to neurologically interface with the armor and generally find its bulk much more cumbersome than a space marine does. Thank you, Got it. That clears that up. Thank you. Thank you. Good find. Your wisdom is depreciated. <laughs> the wisdom of the wiki <laughs> is upon me. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Um, Tim? Yeah. There's six psychic powers, and I have to tell you, I only like two of them. I could be wrong. What are your two favorites? Terrify. Um, Terrify has a warp charge of six. If manifested, select one enemy unit within 18 inches invisible to this psyker. Until the start of your next psychic phase, subtract one from the leadership characteristics of models in that unit. And But here's the thing, and that unit cannot fire Overwatch. Right. So what I have done is I've terrified a unit and then charged them with my uh, Alaris Custodians. And what is the other one that you like? I think I know what it and, is. And, let me ask a question, Carla. Yeah. Carla, you can use that on the night, can't you? Terrify? Yeah. What's the wording on it specifically? It just says target unit, right? One enemy yeah. unit yeah. within 18 yeah. inches. Yeah. 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 So sure. that, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't cheating. Nope. <laughs> Take, taking away Overwatch on a night is kind of nice. Yeah. Right. And then charging him with custodians. Yep. With, uh, yep. It was pretty good. It's good. I mean, you could do it on night. You could do it on a, a single Riptide. 
Right. Uh, you could do it on like anything big like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other or- one I like is Dominate. Hmm. Again, a warp charge of six. Select an enemy model within 12 inches of this psyker that is not a vehicle and roll 3d6. If the total is equal to or greater than the model's leadership characteristic, that model can immediately shoot with one of its weapons as if it were your shooting phase to make one or make one attack as if it were a fight phase. A lot of times I've, I've, <laughs> I've dominated a, 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 you know, a orc war boss. And that sounds of, uh, interesting. Yeah, because <laughs> he was getting ready. To, he, his next turn, he was going to charge me, and he had a unit of twenty. And I said, "Well, I need to get this unit down." You know, so first, your war, your war boss is going to attack the unit. Yeah. Six or so damage, take them off. Now I'm going to shoot the unit. Yeah, that's good for shenanigans. <laughs> I like that. I also like uh, psychic pursuit number five on the list here. It's a warp tribe of seven. Uh, select one enemy enemy character unit that contains only models with a wounds characteristic of less than ten and was and is within eighteen inches and visible of the psyker. Then select one friendly Ordo unit within six inches of the Psyker. Until the end of your next shooting phase, that Ordo unit can target that character, even if it is oh. not the closest enemy unit. So bring, going back to that Land Raider. Yes. <laughs> because it says that Ordo unit, which could be that Land Raider, shooting at a character was pretty pretty nice. You could you could wipe a less than 10 wound character off the board with that if you're lucky. That's pretty nasty. Yeah, I like that one. I better see you guys using some of these strategies sooner. You know, well, you will see me use gone to waste. Mm -hmm. You will see me (laughs) use terrify and um, dominate often. Castigation has a warp charge value of six. Select one enemy unit within eighteen inches and visible to the psyker. Roll three d six. If the total exceeds the lowest leadership characteristic in that unit, the unit suffers D. I'm going to tell you something. Yeah, the thing about that, what that can be good for is you ever have one of those knights that's down to one wound, but you know on the neck one or two wounds, but you know the next turn they're going to use that stratagem to make it shoot and mm-hmm. bite at full. Yeah, get it off the table. Get it out of there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some um, uh, three uh, ordo specific um, psychic abilities. Ascertainment has a warp charge value of six. Uh, enemy unit within 12 inches of the Psyker. Subtract one from attack characteristics of models in that unit to a minimum of one. Then roll 2d6 if the total is equal to or greater to the highest leadership characteristic in that unit. Then until the start of your next Psychic phase, when resolving an attack made by the model in that unit, subtract one from the hit roll. That's kind of nice. Ascertainment. Um, Ordo Xenos has the Psychic Veil. It's a warp charge of five. Uh, Ordo Xenos within six inches of the Psyker can only be selected as the target of attacks if they are the closest visible enemy unit and can only be selected as the target of charges if they are within six inches of the charging unit. So that's Psychic Veil. That's kind of interesting. And uh, Power Through Knowledge um, gives a... It's a warp charge of six. Uh, Imperium Infantry or Biker units within 12 inches of the Psyker get a five-up involves save until the start of their next Psychic phase. Also interesting. Um, especially good because you have a couple of Inquisition Psychers that can know multiple Psychic abilities. So there's some good uh, some good mixes of Psychic skills that can happen there. Uh, looking over at some of their relics, Lavelle, do you have a favorite relic from this uh, list here that you want to talk about? Not really. The only one that I kind of like is Black Shroud. When you put the Black Shroud on um, the Inquisitor model only, 
and they use subtract one from the wound roll. But even that's kind of questionable because they're kind of punchy. I like um, I like digital weapons, which you can give to an inquisitor. Uh, one additional attack with your close combat profile, and it does a mortal wound. That's kind of nice. Yeah, that, that can't. That's not bad. Yeah. yeah. But you know, typically though, if you you're going to have to spend a command point to get that relic. Because you're not going to have an Inquisition army. You can give them a Warlord trait, but then you you got to spend a CP for that. But then right. another one for the... Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Excellent coverage on the new Inquisitor rules in White Dwarf November 2019. Stay tuned. We'll be back with Section 4 from the Stacks. Stay tuned. Uh, welcome back. Section 4 from the Stacks. We're talking about books. I'll start us off. I just finished the incredible old world Warhammer fantasy battle novel Skarsnik about this uh, cave goblin Skarsnik who rises from a, a grunt, a little miniature runty green blobby thing who came out of a mushroom to a, a proper war boss who battles in the names of Gork and Mork in the mountains. Um, this was the first ever, other than short stories, this was the first time I had read a novel set in the old world of Warhammer Fantasy Battle, and I really enjoyed it. It really gave a sense of the scale of these underworld, underground worlds that the the dwarves and the uh, the Skaven are now fighting in. I won't talk too much about it, but it's a really great read. Um, stands alone by itself really well. It gives a good dark flavor of of humans and uh, um Scave in, and it's really, it was, it was pretty sick. The, the, the story was great. I also just started uh, two days ago, book five from the Beast Arises series, which continues this story of a massive, these the, uh, several massive orc moon battle stations. They're basically orc death stars. And it's the Inquisition and the Imperial Fists and their successor chapters and a lot of infighting between the Officio Assassinorum and the various um, Ordos of the Inquisition. It's really, really interesting. A lot of politics, a lot of uh, human uh, battling of who has the right to save the Imperium. Meanwhile, the Imperium is becoming uh, engaged on many war fronts that it can't afford to be fighting on. So it's really interesting Really great story so far, book five. Um, I like that one. There's, I think there's 13 or 12 or 13 books in the whole series, so I'm almost halfway through The Beast Arises, which I'm pretty stoked about. But number five is, is really good so far. I'm enjoying it, yeah. Uh, Lavelle, what about you? Well, before we go on, uh, I just want you to know, um, Tim, we're closely monitoring your book selection um, <laughs> for heretic leanings. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, the Inquisition is a little concerned. It's going to get a little close. So a couple of things. I um, I just want to let everybody know. We talked – I believe we talked about the Watchers of the Throne, that it was – the Watchers of the Throne takes place um, near the return of Gilliman, and it is a uh, Adeptus Custodes, Sisters of Silence novel. They did announce that they would be producing a second um, book there, and I'm really, really, really excited about that. I really enjoyed that book. Not just because it had the beautiful custodes, but because it gave us an insight. <laughs> I, I heard that snicker. It gave us an insight into um, some of the other things that's going on. 
I just finished the Ravener. I'm sorry, I keep messing this up. The Eisenhorn series, and you know, it was good, and then it became repetitive. Mm. I am now reading the Ravener series, and I'm on the second book there. Uh, yeah, you know, I guess there is a lot to be said for story, but the way that it's being told is a little bit repetitive. And so there's a lot of things that go on in Imperium. When you read these books, as opposed to a book about the Adeptus Mechanicus or a book about the Space Marines, you get a different look into the overall society uh, that is the, the, the huge Imperium of man. Yeah. And when you back up, it's pretty clear what's going on. But when you drill down, it's understandably how we could be living right now in that type of environment. And not even know it. So right now, we might be in a world where they don't tell us anything. Mm. We, mm. we just produce and they take it off. Mm. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. And we're like, mm, do, 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 do. Right, right, and right. we would not know <laughs> until the orc showed up. Gotcha. <laughs> and when the orc showed up, all of a sudden, they would show up and yeah. then they'd say, okay, this is done. Got to set up the church here and, and start that. Right, right, right. <laughs> so that, that was pretty good. The other thing that I finished reading, um, so I, the, I, let me say this. If you really like 40K lore and you want to see a little bit what's behind the curtain, those my, those two um, those two series, Ravener and Eisenhorn, are good for that. I did finish the Solar War. Did we talk about the Solar War here? No. I'm not, I'm not really a Horace Heresy reading guy. I think you put me onto it. But I did read the Solar War. And there were a couple of smaller books that I would not recommend. They were I, I listened to them, and they were audio dramas, and I just thought it was too overdone, and it, it disturbed the reading. That's the best way I can have it. And, but one, there is one that's really short called The Calculus of Battle, and it's an Iron Hand book that's pretty good. <laughs> that one was good. So I've been reading a lot of uh, 40K books, but the main thing that I've been reading for is to get a fill. The Belisarius Call book, you know, Belisarius Call is a jacked up guy. <laughs> no way, no way around that. But if you read it, you know, you get a real sense of his hubris. I mean, I hate to be a, uh, yeah, just read it to say, what are you doing, dude? <laughs> but it's really consistent with the, the, um, the perspective of the mechanic. Well, it's okay as long as we gain more knowledge. So those are the things I've been reading a lot. I've, this is the last month I've been doing a lot of driving and I pop in a bunch of books. When a book is good, in addition to driving, I mean, in addition to listen to it, I'll run out and buy a printed copy so I can revisit specific sections. Yeah, that's smart. That's smart. Carla, what about you? Reading anything of note? Uh, nothing 40K related. I just picked up uh, the Altered Carbon book the other day, so I'm going to start reading that. Ooh, I didn't uh, know Altered I Carbon was a book. Yeah, it was originally a book before they made it in the Netflix series. So. I have no idea. I should read that. I loved that series. I thought that was great. But as as yeah, the kids like, like to say, they made the movie. They made the movie. They made the movie into a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard. Uh, I just finished uh, Witcher as well, and I was thinking about reading those books because I heard they're really good. So hmm. we'll see how it goes. All right, cool. So nothing, nothing on the forty k docket for me for a while, but uh, maybe an audiobook. I don't know if you guys want to do. Well, after we talk about what we're going to do with next season, maybe yes. we decide we're going to do something like that again. We'll take a short break. We'll come back and wrap up the episode.
Welcome back, Section 5. We're wrapping it up, Episode 28. We're almost out of here. We usually talk about stuff that's cool in the hobby that we discovered since our last recording. I am going to start us off and say that I have bought into a video game based in the Warhammer 40,000 universe called Inquisitor Martyr. It has been in production for a long time. It's gone through several revisions. It had a... Um, a couple of bumps and bruises along the way according to the Steam reviews, but right now it seems to be sitting in a pretty good place. There is a ton of DLC, um, so I picked up picked it all up on sale where the whole thing was like 60% off or 70% off, something like that. So I got everything for, I don't know, 20 or $30 or something. It is, you know, you pick a Ordo of the Inquisition that you want to get involved with. You can customize and kit out your Inquisitor. It is, uh, I've been told, it's very much like the Diablo action-based RPG games of the past. There's lots of stuff blowing up on screen. It is not turn-based, so it's very much, you know, button mashing and combos and picking the right weapon for the right enemy, and there's the, the everything on screen can take damage, which is kind of neat to see. Um, it doesn't appear to use a ton of processing power, um, so it plays really well on my PC, um, and I'm enjoying it. The uh, The tone of it is very spot-on. You can tell, you know, they, they bought into the GW 3D model library to put everything on screen. It looks very much like it's been pulled from the rule books and from the art that we're used to seeing in the Warhammer 40k universe, so I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm only uh, like an hour and ten minutes into it, so I can't really speak to how the story arc unfolds, but I think from what I've read that with all of the DLC and all of the stuff enabled, it is a nice uh, a nice ride through this um, the, the you know the journey of the Inquisitor that you choose, and I think the um, I think the worlds are procedurally procedurally generated, meaning the maps are never the same twice. I think which is kind of neat if that's true. I hope that's true, because I just said it. Um, but I'm enjoying it. I don't have a ton of time to play video games, but I did. Uh, I enjoyed scrolling through that one and uh, getting it uh, getting it happening. Uh, Carlo, what do you have for The Chosen here on episode 28? Uh, I don't know. Nothing? Maybe? <laughs> Sorry. Okay, <laughs> you just made the heresy list. Um, no, I think, you know, this. the last month I haven't been able to get anything really 40k related just because of all the the holidays popping up so i haven't been able to invest any money in that thing i will say that um my chosen this month were to have to be chapter approved because that has assisted me in fitting more things into my list um and changing my list around to be more creative i've been running like the same tile list for eight months and it's been nice to i'm looking at a razor shark i'm looking at some stealth battle suits in there so I think I'd have to say chapter approved. You know. There is a game out called Core Space. If you go to C-O-R-E Space, if you go to their um, website, they have – the game is all right. It's okay. But they have terrain there. It's cardboard terrain that you put together that is amazing, absolutely amazing. So for um, – for example, you can buy a box set or two box sets for you know under a hundred bucks, and you would have a great layout for a kill team game. Um, I would recommend that you take a look at the terrain. I feel like it might be a little bit too um, crowded for a regular 40k game, but you could still work it out. The terrain is really inexpensive, and you you know it breaks down well. Uh, take a look at it. Core space, 
has it's called Battles Under Them. It's Battle Systems Tabletop Games and Terrain, and it's pretty good. Well said. Um, also in this section, let's talk about what's coming up for Season 4. We are recording this episode, finishing this episode rather, on the 28th of December 2019, which will mean Episode 29 comes out in 2020. So we are changing up Crew Shaken for Season 4, as we did for Seasons 2 and 3. In Season 4 2020, our listeners can look forward to shorter episodes more frequently. We're going to scale back our hobby progress chit-chat to bring you some new content, some new more focused sections on a more regular basis. We're going to change tactical upload to focus on competitive play, and ideally we will do a list review each episode. Uh, This will rely heavily on Carlo's involvement with the new Philadelphia-based competitive team that he is responsible for and all of the TOing he'll be doing in 2020, so we can look forward to that. Um, Lavelle is excited about a new section called Play the Storyline, which will be a more narrative play-based section, which will likely um, put together our future history section and a little bit of our uh, Welcome Scouts section into one. Uh, That'll be narrative play-based. We're also going to do a new section called Sanctioned Heresy, where we will talk about a non-GW game for a few minutes every episode. You know that we all play a bunch of different stuff from a bunch of different manufacturers, so we hope to turn you on to some good stuff in Sanctioned Heresy. And we will continue with From the Stats, our regular book reviews, because it's fun, and it gets us all reading the same things at the same time. So we'll have a more regular schedule of Black Library uh, and uh, Black Library book reviews, short story reviews, audiobooks, etc. We'll be doing more of that in 2020. Um, we would love to hear from you about how season three went and about how you'd like to hear twin how, how you'd like to hear season four go. Uh, we're going to put a survey on the Facebook page. Feel free to check it out and fill it in. We'll come up with some kind of prize for one of the survey participants, I think, as a motivating factor. So do head over to facebook.com slash crew shaken and uh, take the survey there that you will see the first week in January. Uh, yeah, we'll do a prize drawing based on that. We should mention, isn't there the Burks thing coming up in February? Oh yeah, Burks Winter Blast. Winter Blast is, 20, is uh, February 1st. So in January, uh, Basement Wargamers have an RTT on the 4th of January, um, as well as alternate universes. And uh, Basement War Gamers also have an AOS tournament on the fifth. If anybody's interested in that, so let, let's 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 go through this. Let's put it in order of the dates. Mm-hmm. So first, we have the RTT um, 40k tournament by Burks. I'm sorry, by Basement War Gamers, and that's at Gamers Heaven. And it's in Phoenixville, and that is on the fourth. Correct. And next, we have the uh, Basement Wargamers AOS tournament on the 5th. Correct. And then we have the APOC game, the exclusive APOC game, <laughs> annual APOC game. This has got to be, we, we got to be almost 10 years into this. Oh, and one, one thing I should mention is that the APOC game is using 40K rules, not the Apocalypse rules. Right. So we didn't want to have to get everybody to go out and buy like a separate rule set for this for this year and then maybe we'll test it on the side and see if we like the APOC rules for next year but and that is on the what is that the 14th 15th that's the 11th the 11th i'd have had people showing up late ah, and i would have won <laughs> and then finally well not finally but then uh the alternate universe is on what day 
that's the same day as the first RTT on the fourth. Okay. So and, and Bur- Burke's Winter Blast is on is February. February the first. Now Burke's Winter Blast is a doubles tournament. I am in that tournament. I am playing Necron and Iron Hands. It'll be a great, great duel. Um, I've teamed up with a guy who plays Iron Hand. I haven't played with him before. Um, they also have an Age of Sigmar tournament, and I was really torn because on at the same event, it's in Lidditz, PA, they have a bolt-action tournament. Yeah, so I was really torn, but I, I decided, you know, hey, who wouldn't want nine, uh, I'm sorry, what, yeah, who wouldn't want 18 rates on the table at a time? <laughs> so... And then the Nature Sigmar tournament, that's kind of cool. 24-person Nature Sigmar tournament. There's a lot of activity come going on, <coughs> and we're blessed to live in a meta that has a lot of different gaming opportunities. I agree. We will wrap up episode 28. Thank you for a great 2019, everyone. Thank you, Carlo and Lavelle, for continuing on this journey with me with the Crew Shaken podcast. For Crew Shaken, I have been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carlo. We'll see you all next year. Thanks for listening. <laughs>